Welcome to the Think Podcast, the show that tackles impossible questions from a biblical perspective with your host, Joel Sedekes. And now get ready to think. All right. Well, welcome to the Think Podcast with Joel Sedekes. I'm Joel Sedekes, and this is the show that tackles impossible questions from a biblical perspective to help you explain, share, and defend the Christian message. Well, we are currently in the middle of one of the most disruptive times in recent human history. Worldwide, about 1.5 billion of us are homebound waiting out the current coronavirus crisis. And during this time, it's natural to ask what God might be doing in the lives of his people. How does he want us to respond? And what kind of work does he have for us to do? A very practical question that we must ask is, how can I stay productive and even truly maximize my productivity during this time of crisis? And how do biblical principles factor in? To help me answer this question, my guest is Reverend Dr. Brandon D. Crow. Reverend Dr. Crow is a busy man. He's the head of the Department of New Testament at Westminster Seminary. He is the book review editor for two theological journals, a mentor to PhD students, and an ordained teaching elder at his church, not to mention a husband to Cheryl and the father of four children. So if you want to know about how to maximize your productivity from a biblical perspective, there is no one better to learn from. Today, we're going to talk about his new book from Lexham Press. It's called Everyday Matters, a biblical approach to productivity. So, Reverend Dr. Crow, welcome to the Think Podcast. Well, thank you for having me. That was quite the uh, the introduction. Well, you are uh, you are quite the busy man, and uh, I've been really looking forward to this conversation ever since I started reading. I've got not one, but two copies of Everyday Matters, uh, one to be given away, and then uh, one that I've, let's see, which one's the one? Yeah, one that I've marked up and uh, you know, dog-eared and everything else, gotten a lot out of it. Um, in in your book, you say that true productivity is more than just getting things done. Could you unpack that for us? What do you mean by that? Yeah, one of the things I wanted to try to help readers with in this book is think about being strategic with at the time and, and with the the efforts that you're putting your time into. And so a lot of our culture and a lot of our best efforts are really towards busyness where we we do more and more and more, but it may not be the most strategic use of our time uh, and it may not be the most effective uh, use of our time in terms of what gets results, what we ought to be doing. And so there's a difference in, for example, uh, answering 30 emails over the course of a morning and then maybe making progress on an important a project that you've got a long-term deadline for. And so you may have to respond to those emails, but do the emails require your most alert time and your most um, uh, your most creative hours of the day, for example, if those are in the morning? And so what we want to do is not just be busy, but in fact, get the right things done, uh, choose what we get done when we do them, and then allow ourselves to to have more time on, on the back end for other things besides work. And so we're not so frenetic in our schedules that what we're thinking of all the time is I've got to do more, I've got to do more, I've got to do more, but recognizing that we have limitations. And so let's pick the best things we can be doing 
and and not think that the true mark of faithfulness uh, or the true mark of being productive is just being busy all the time because that's not always the case you might be very busy and feel like you're not actually getting much done and so we want to try to make a strategic decision on the front end so that we can have the outcome we want on the back end that's that's the most effective use of our time not just busyness man <laughs> yeah i uh, i know that feeling well of spending you know however many hours spinning my wheels and getting things done only to look back and really question what what have i actually gotten done i'm no closer to to my goals here and you point out that um, Ecclesiastes. You you talk a lot about scripture. Um, a good portion of the book is is dedicated to scripture, and I want to I want to dig into that a little bit more. But you point out that Ecclesiastes highlights the limitations that we face in our work, including our own mortality. How is understanding our limits helpful? All right, I think I lost you there for a second. You still with me? Oh. Yep, still with you. Okay, so you're asking me about Ecclesiastes. Yeah, wh when you say um, that Ecclesiastes helps us to understand our limitations, right? Even our own mortality. How is understanding our limits and our mortality practical and important when we're thinking about our own productivity? Yeah, so Ecclesiastes—it's not the only thing we have in the Bible, uh, but it's it's a helpful counterpoint, especially I think to much of productivity literature that is out there today and so on the one hand you have the biblical teaching like proverbs which is sort of your baseline which is you know you, you reap what you sow you get out of things what you put into them uh, you you are rewarded for diligence things like that and ecclesiastes comes along and does not contradict that but it says well what about this and what about that uh, what if you are productive what if you get a lot of things done what does it ultimately matter in the end? And Ecclesiastes says, you know what? It'll be forgotten. Okay, well, what if uh, what if you have everything that you could possibly want? What if you have every advantage? What if you uh, have done more than anyone else on earth? Ecclesiastes tells us, you know, there's more to life than just that work because it's going to be forgotten. And so enjoy the good things that God has given us. Enjoy your family. Enjoy a nice meal. Uh, enjoy your, your children. Pour into relationships and have fun enjoy life because you could work and work and work and then come to the end of your life and realize that you had not really focused on some of the most important gifts that God has given us. Yes, work is a gift itself and, and the rewards of our works are gifts, but Ecclesiastes helps us see that we have limitations and, and life doesn't always play by the rules. And sometimes things are frustrating. It doesn't seem like they're, uh, that we're getting out. We're not reaping uh, what we sowed and and sometimes those who put no work in get all the rewards and so that it's very real adaptations and that even so what matters is fear god and keep his commandments and um work as much as you can uh, work as well as you can but also recognize the need to cut it off and take a step back from it and do other things yeah and you mentioned on page 28 this is in chapter three i mean you ex explicitly say uh here's a quote your efforts may not always be appreciated or rewarded by others but god sees and remembers the primary call is to be faithful not successful in the eyes of the world end quote so 
if our efforts don't always lead to these visible success markers, and even as you say, understanding our mortality really leads us to understand that much of our success and productivity in this life will ultimately be forgotten by subsequent generations. How can we know if we're being faithful, if we're not looking at these external signs and indicators primarily, how do we know if we have been faithful? How do we know what's expected of us? Yeah, that, that's a great question. And it's hard to answer simply. Um, I, I think that there's a few things we can look at here. One is keeping the main things the main thing. And that is love for God and love for neighbor. Coming back to those time and time again. And our, our mark of faithfulness is not how many hits did I get on a blog or how many books did I sell or how many people came to hear me speak or uh, you know, or how how much money did I make? Those are not marks of necessarily a faithfulness. Uh, and, and too often, those are the metrics that we're looking at. But instead of success, and, and Kent Hughes has a great book of this title, Liberating Ministry from the Success Syndrome. Uh, what, we, what we're looking for is not success, but faithfulness. Are we loving God? Are we loving our neighbor? Are we thinking not just of our own ambition and how we can build our own platform or how we can build our own following, but are we trying to use the gifts that God has given us uh, for the glory of his kingdom. Uh, so there's one way. Another way is, is um, I mean, looking at what are good works according to scripture and good works are the moral law of God, you know, the 10 commandments. Uh, are we listening to what God commands us to do? And are we putting our effort into worthwhile things that, that cohere and conform to the will of God and not things that are, um, you know, that are just a, about the cultural moment. Uh, and so those are ways that you can you can weigh what you're doing. How closely does this line up with what Scripture says? And those are maybe two of the most helpful. Yeah, that is really helpful. And you do draw a lot from the the wisdom literature of Scripture. You know, for those who might not be as well versed in the different divisions of Scripture and the different categories and genres, could you just just describe for us what do you mean by wisdom literature and what is the what are the principles we can draw from these books in scripture? Yeah, so wisdom literature is primarily about Old Testament books. Some people throw James in that category as well from the New Testament. But you're talking about books like Proverbs and Ecclesiastes in particular. And what they're and Job falls into that category. It's wrestling with God's wisdom in our our lives. And it's one way to think of it is this is you think about what God has given us in creation how the world is supposed to work. You start with the fear of the Lord. Uh, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, Proverbs 1.7. And so you recognize that God is the creator. He is the authority over us. What he says is right. And we are to conform our lives to his will. And, and so you have, for example, the law of Moses. And as we know, it can be very complicated to understand the law of Moses and, and how this plays out. It is practical, but it requires a number of caveats and so forth. And so what wisdom literature does, think Proverbs here, is it, it comes in and says, you know, the law of God, it's assuming the law of God, but then applying it to, you know, how you live with your wife or how you live with your children, how you train your children, how you run a business, how you think about being prepared in your business, really practical things about how you plan for life and how you live life. And so what it does is takes some of these abstract principles and begins to flesh out with illustrations and maxims and so forth of what it looks like to live faithfully in a fallen world where there's a lot of gray area, just as there was 
uh, just as there is today, there was in biblical times. A lot of gray area. What does it mean to be honest? What does it mean not to steal? What does it mean not to have any other gods? What does it mean not to commit adultery and all these sorts of things? Uh, and so wisdom literature helps us a ton there, especially Proverbs. And Ecclesiastes helps us as well by, uh, by teasing things out in a different way. So, and Job is, is different still. So you have these various books of scripture that are showing us our limitations and calling on us to look back to the Lord for wisdom where true wisdom really resides. And so by looking at wisdom literature in the Old Testament, realizing it's not the final word, but it's a very important word of God's revelation to us, uh, we, we can, I think, get some help in very practical things about planning, about, for example, Proverbs says plan to, to prepare for what you need. Um, and, and there are overhead costs to any business like uh, running a farm, for example, in, in agricultural world. But also, if you plan too much and you never get to work, you'll never reap a harvest. So it has the balance there, and it helps us to, to think through things from a variety of angles, which is helpful. Yeah, for the last several months, I've been in the process or in the practice of reading the chapter of Proverbs that corresponds to the, the, uh, the day of the month. You know, So today I read chapter 23 in the morning, and uh, I've been absolutely astonished in my own study by how incredibly relevant it is and it so we deal a lot with apologetics on this uh, podcast as part of the, our ministry and it always amazes me i don't know if you've experienced this when speaking with unbelievers sort of some of our more aggressive uh unbelieving friends it always amazes me how the argument comes back well the bible is written by you know bronze age goat herders and uh it has nothing practical the implication is it has nothing practical for our life today. I think what you just said kind of blows that out of the water, doesn't it? Well, it, it's amazing. It really is amazing. You read, you know, I've read dozens of productivity books over the years. And, you know, this book is, is sort of my fruit of that, trying to bring it together from a biblical perspective. And some of that advice that I've read, I come back to Proverbs and I think it's right here. Some of this you know, common grace wisdom, it's right here in Proverbs. And, and it may even have a biblical root, whether they, the authors know it or not. You know, for those not writing from a Christian perspective, a lot of that, a lot of the principles are there. Ecclesiastes, sow your bread upon the waters and you'll have a result and so forth. So uh, you have to understand what those idioms sometimes mean. But what they're talking about is, is the way they did business and the way that they they did, um, you know, merchant dealings and, with, with others. And uh, that that shows you that they're, they're speaking to those who are trying to figure out how to make ends meet, uh, how to run, how to be productive in their own way. So there's a lot of wisdom there. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things I really appreciate about your book, Everyday Matters, is it's not a productivity book that you sort of tack on biblical principles to or, or sort of, you know, draw more. What you're not doing is you're not drawing out common grace principles from the world and then saying, look, this is uh, you know, we, we can also correspond this to scripture. It really does seem like you're advocating for rooting our productivity in scripture, beginning with scripture, and then uh, operating from a, a biblical perspective first, and then applying those principles to the world. Would you say that that's, that's fair? Do we start with scripture? Well, I think we must start with scripture and, and there's a, so much we can learn uh, from elsewhere. So it's not necessarily either or, but only one book has authoritative rule over us, and that's the Bible. And so where we come across an insight that might uh, not square with Scripture, then we must go with Scripture. 
For example, scripture says that work is good. Work is not bad. The problem is work has fallen because of sin. But God created us to work. And so we should not avoid work. Sometimes you read productivity literature that thinks work is a bad word. No, it's not bad. It's fallen and, and it has to be redeemed. Uh, but it's not something we should avoid. We were made to work. So there, there's a different perspective uh, that some productivity books might have, for example. Uh, and so it's not just about getting out of work so you can play. You do both, actually. Scripture says do both. But but work is good. Uh, and, and so what I, I tried to do in the book is uh, write a book that I would have wanted to read, which is both give me the theory, but also give me the practice. So I'm trying to bring them together. Uh, and, and the theory, as it were, is the, the, the root of this comes from Scripture. And uh, that is we need to understand what the riches of the Old Testament revelation. It's not just a New Testament thing where we have a couple of verses, you know, redeem the time or something like that. It's much, much bigger than just a few verses here or there. God's given us the whole Scripture, and we are, uh, we are missing some of the great abundance of blessing we have if we don't look to Proverbs, if we don't look to Ecclesiastes, if we don't begin to try to read the New Testament in light of the Old Testament and, and understand the New Testament as the consummation of the Old Testament and not simply a, a discrete, separate book altogether. It, it builds on the created world and God as the one over us uh, and, and so forth. And so by, by looking at the Old Testament, you know, that's a, the large chunk of Scripture. And, and we must and I'm a New Testament professor, but but we must look to the Old Testament to understand the payoff and the relationship to Christ in the new. Yeah, that's that's really, really good. And speaking of the New Testament, of course, you talk a lot about the life of Paul, the apostle, author of uh, the majority of the books of the New Testament. And, you know, in examining the life of the apostle Paul, one of the big ideas that you extrapolate out is the um, the importance of self-control, which I would say normally in this time of extreme distractions is an incredibly important principle. But now, as we record this, everybody's homebound. You know, is uh, Pennsylvania is under a stay-at-home order right now, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you guys got there before we did here in uh, in Illinois. And you know, now we're not only surrounded by uh, just all the distractions of life, but it's like we're home, we're confined. Um, there's not a whole lot to do. And so these distractions are looming large. Surrounded by all these distractions, how can we become more self-controlled? Is this a, a switch that we flip? Is this a process? How do we work towards growing in that area? Yeah, it's it's one of the things that can sound um, um, sort of a, a works-oriented type of thing, where if you believe in grace, then self-control doesn't save you. Well, I agree with that. But if you look at the fruit of the Spirit, self-control is part of the fruit of the Spirit, which when you think about it, it might be a bit a bit odd. So self-control, it sounds almost self-centered. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. And Paul, whenever he's reasoning with, I believe it's Felix in Acts, he, he talks about uh, the importance of self-control. Uh, and so self-control is, is important to Paul. It's not something to run from. It's something to be embraced. But it's also a fruit of the Spirit which means it's not something that we simply concoct in our own strength. This is something that God works in us uh, as we work it out. The spirit himself is working it out in us. So it's not either something we do or something God does. But self-control is something where we have a role to play. You know, we choose what we do with our time to some extent. We choose, uh, you make decisions throughout the day. And, and when it comes to productivity, you know, there's a lot of things vying for your attention, a lot of bad decisions you can make. And so that's part of what Paul 
preaches in his letters that is particularly relevant, I think, for productivity. And, and so that's why the emphasis comes out in part of the chapters on self-control. That's part of the fruit of the spirit that's particularly helpful for productivity because you have to say no to so many things so that you can say yes to the right thing. And where you let slacking go in one part of life, it's going to have a ripple effect throughout your life. And it's, we are we are integrated persons. You know, the physical and the spiritual are interrelated and so forth. So, I mean, for example, if, if you um, sleep in every day, if you overeat every day, you know, if you're it's going to have a, an impact on your uh, energy levels and you're not going to have as much energy. Whereas if you're exercising, you're doing your best to eat well and so forth, then hopefully uh, that will yield positive results because you are uh, you're showing self-control in one area and it yields benefits in all other areas. And so it's not a it's not a works oriented self-control, but it is part of the fruit of the spirit. And it's something that perhaps we, we do well to talk about for that reason. In the even in the context of grace, where we don't save ourselves and so forth. But we're not talking about justification. We're talking about sanctification, which is something that we have a role to play in uh, as we grow. So even though it's a fruit of the spirit, we participate with the spirit. We work we work out the implications of our salvation, even as God is working within us and, and through us. Yeah, a great passage there, Philippians 2, 12 and 13. And it sounds like you were channeling that passage even as we spoke. But uh, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For the reason for this is because God is at work in you to will and to work according to his good pleasure. And so here's where we're getting into theology a bit. But justification is an act where God justifies us. And sanctification is a process where we have a role to play. Justification is a unilateral act of God. Sanctification is, is, a, is something we have a role in. And those, they're, they're very closely related but distinct. Yeah, yeah, very good. And, and very important not to get those confused. Um, what is the, when we're thinking about how we can be more productive, how I can maximize my productivity, what's the most important principle? Uh, yeah, it's, I don't know that there's one most important principle, but, but I would say having um, a couple of things, uh, having a clear set of priorities, knowing what's most important, and then having a way to, to meet those priorities or to accomplish tasks related to those priorities. Uh, and so one thing might just be, if I had to summarize it, get organized. You know, get get your stuff down, get it on paper, uh, and um, and and start looking at it, and get it organized in the right spot around the right principles. And that's a pretty all-encompassing summary. But that that's you, you got to have clarity in terms of what all is on your plate, uh, metaphorically speaking, and then having a way to organize that. You know, as um, one thing that that we do when we teach Greek at, at Westminster Seminary is we take passages. Of scripture, and then we begin to break them down. How do you break this passage down? How do, how do you how do you show what's a major and what's minor? How do you show the flow of thought? And what you're doing is taking this big jumble of a text, and you're breaking it down and working your way through it, so you can see that the author's thought. Uh, and so, for productivity, that's what you're doing as well. Is you're taking this big mass of possible things you could be doing, putting it down, and beginning to organize it, or like putting together a puzzle. Maybe a lot of people are doing that these days. Before you can get the puzzle together, you got to get all the pieces on the table or the floor and get them all turned over so you can see, you know, find the edges and so forth. And then you can begin to make sense out of it. And that's what the first step really in productivity is, is getting it all down before you so you can start to work with it. And you you do advocate for some productivity tools as well. 
um, what are you what are you personally using these days? I've I've got my uh, passion planner here, which I use. I've also got a um, uh, this sort of uh, three notebook leather uh, notebook here journal that I use for um, three different areas of my own work. What what are you using, and what do you recommend to folks? Well, one of the, in terms of what do I recommend, um, and I would pause and say you got to figure out what works for you, and probably trial and error is the only way to figure that out. I use a combination of of electronic and hard copy means. I am a big believer in having some kind of a of a notebook or a planner in front of you that you can write on. And in the book, there's an outline of what my weekly plan looks like, but I like seeing a week at a time. So I can look at a whole week at one glance and then to begin to, to write in priorities for each day. Uh, and, um, and we maybe we'll come back to that. So I use that. I use electronic calendars. You almost have to these days with people scheduling um, and events and so forth. So I use electronic calendars. I also use electronic to-do lists uh, or I use one. Uh, and I mentioned in the book some of the options. The one I use is called Things. And that's just because I started using it and it worked and so I've always used it. Um, but it works well. And, and there's a, a number of, of items on the market for each of these, for uh, planners. You mentioned a couple you had uh, for to-do lists, calendars, and so forth. But a few basic tools used well is really all you need. You don't need dozens and dozens of productivity apps because it's going to take too much effort to open them all and to use them all. So having having a place to, to do a daily workflow that you're writing things down, having a calendar, having a to-do list and then having a filing system, you know, something where you put information like Evernote is what I use. I, but I also have a hard copy filing cabinet in my office that I use as well and at home. So I use both and uh, it just depends on the topic. So it's got to, it sounds like it's got to be something that you kind of work through yourself. Trial and error yeah. is going to play a role. And, and I don't have a static system. Uh, it's actually dynamic. I'm always hmm. adjusting, always trying to tweak it. And so what I wrote in the book, you know, it may not be exactly the same as it is today because things are, I'm always trying to get, uh, find the most efficient way to do things. And so I, I make a, a, a few, in fact, a number of recommendations in the book for things you could try, but I also say, figure out what works for you, use trial and error. And, um, and then depending on your calling, your job, uh, your studies, whatever the case may be, you've got to figure out what fits you and your, your lifestyle. Yeah, and something else you recommend that we figure out is the this idea of the Pareto principle. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. It's the the so-called 80-20 rule that 80% of your productivity comes from 20% of your activity. Why do you think that's the case? And then how do we identify our most productive 20%? Yeah, and a lot of what I'm doing in that second part of the book is, is – uh, synthesizing and, and bringing to the conversation some of the most helpful things I've come across in, in the literature that is out there. And some of these are a common knowledge now. And this appears to be one of those that I've read in many places, but, uh, but it appears to be common knowledge out there, which is um, the 80-20 rule or the Pareto principle, however you say it. Um, and what it says is that 80% that of, the, of, of the yield comes from 20% of the activity. And so find the 20% of things you could be doing and invest most of your time there and you'll get 80% of your results. So what does that mean? What are you particularly good at? What are you particularly um, uh, valued for? What can, you, uh, what can you do that is distinctive and helpful for your, let's say for someone in, in a job? 
what is it that you could add and that you could spend your time doing and that th those few things that you identify that are going to have an exponential yield on the back end. And, and this principle, they say, applies all over the place. I've not done any research on it, but the principle that you know, 80% of the giving for a church often comes from 20% of the members, things like that. It, it, this is so almost a universal principle people have found that and the math just always works out. Again, I, I can't verify those numbers, but what it means is uh, if you are going to get the most benefit out of, let's say, doing a creative project, that's going to be something that only you can do. That's going to be a better use of your time than answering emails all day if your job primarily is not answering emails. And so focus on those few things that will produce the best results. And that's what that means. So that means being strategic and saying no to a lot of things so that you can say yes to a few important things that will have the most impact. Okay. And is that, how does that tie in with your practice of having a daily big three, a weekly big three, uh, which by the way, this is something that I've adapted for myself. If I show you my planner right now, uh, for each day I've got, um, I don't know, I don't know if you can really see it here, but I've got sort of a little box with three bullet points that, yeah. you know, the big things I want to accomplish for that day. Um, how do we identify each day? What, what we should be working on and and why three things? Yeah, uh, this is something that, that I came across in a number of different places. Um, and it's called the rule of three is what I call it in the book, which is focus each day on doing three things. And no matter what else, get those three things done. That doesn't sound like a lot. But if you do three things, you're also doing other things as well. And I give some footnotes in the book to where you can find out more about this. Some planners are built around this principle. Uh, some other people have written about it as well. But I find that what it forces you to do is narrow down on important things, that 20, 80 percent uh, rule again. You're focusing on a few things that you must get done. And so whatever else happens, make sure this happens. Make sure these three things get done. Now, how do you identify those? You got to take a step back and figure out what your goals are, what your priorities are. Um, for example, if you let's just use this as an example, you want to write a book. Well, you don't write a book over a weekend. You don't write it over two or three months, probably. You write it over a period of a couple of years, maybe. And so you don't write a book, you write a paragraph. And so your, your goal for one day might be, you know, write 100 words. The next day might be write 100 words, or it might be reading a book. Maybe there's a 2,000 page multiple volume something you need to read. Well, you don't read it in one weekend. You read 15 to 20 pages a day for several months, and then you get there. And so what you're doing is identifying incremental steps towards big, uh, items that need to be done. And so it might be for me, it might be, you know, write 200 words on a book. It might be, um, write the outline for one lecture. It might be, you know, read 20 pages of a certain book. And so then you, you're doing those things to keep you moving towards bigger, uh, bigger goals. And, 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 and you're, what you're doing is you're taking things a day at a time, a chunk at a time. And that's part of the, the logic of the title of the book. Every day matters, which means two things. One, every day is important, but two, it's the small things of life. The everyday matters. And so every day adds up. Every day you get started is an advantage you have. And every day that you uh, delay is going to put you behind, uh, behind the chains further, as they say in football. 
Man, that's a timely reminder right now, too. I was just listening to some statistics about uh, when it comes to like the coronavirus, which is the big crisis on everybody's mind right now, that if, um, you know, without getting too political here, but if the if the Chinese government did a, a certain number of weeks earlier, they could have cut down the um, the devastation. And, and again, without getting political at all here, I used to be a financial advisor and the same principle was true when we would talk with people about making investments and, and, you know, the younger you start, the greater impact it's going to have on your ability to have uh, wealth and, and, you know, savings later. And it's an exponential difference. The same is true for, for evangelism and discipleship. If you, you know, you, you disciple one person who disciples one other person, the sooner you start that process, the um, and the sooner you start making headway, the the greater of it, the, the greater your dividends are going to be further down the road, and and uh, you know th that's certainly true when it comes to productivity as well. Yeah, you got to get started. The, the day to get started is today. But the, tomorrow always sounds good. Yeah, but one thing today, get started today, and you'll be amazed at what you can what you can do today. You know, you may think, well, I don't have time today. Well. You might you might have time to to write you know, you know two hundred words of a book you know in between uh, between engagements you might have you know maybe you want to learn a language well I'll do it later well languages take time so maybe you can work in thirty minutes a day in the next few weeks and you can go ahead and get started on it and then you're that much ahead and so that's one of the sub themes that pops up occasionally in the book is go ahead and get started now uh, tomorrow is always going to sound like it's a better option but just go ahead and get started today. That's great. That's great. Would your advice change at all now that many of us are working from home? Should we just accept the fact that this is going to be a period of limited or decreased productivity? And uh, you know, as a um, a good Presbyterian, how do you uh, how do you factor in God's sovereignty into this whole? You know, God's got work for us to do. Um, and you know, just to lay my own cards on the table, I, I am a, a Calvinist. I, all five points, but uh, not not a Presbyterian. So, uh, you know, maybe, maybe sub subpar compared to what you are. But uh, how do we factor in God's sovereignty during this time? Does how productive does He want us to be during this time? Yeah, you know, I think that there's probably a number of different ways to answer that. Every productivity looks different for for many different people. You know, people's situations are different. Some people have all they need to work from home. Some people simply can't do their work as well from home. Some people have a family of children. Some people may may uh, may have um, you know no children, and, and some people are married. Some people not married. So there's a number of factors to consider there. Uh, Proverbs helps us here, I think. Proverbs says, you know, the the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. So we make our plans. You make your deadlines. You but you can't you can't control these things. You don't know what's going to happen. So the the Lord directs our steps, and His sovereignty is over all of this. Now, when it comes to how does that affect our productivity, uh, I can speak for myself. Things have changed a lot. I'm still trying to do what was on what was on my you know, to do list beforehand. What the long term projects I'm still working on um, just doing them differently. Now, we're still teaching our classes. Uh, so we 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 missed. Um, uh, we took a week off to get our legs under us. But some of our classes, we actually didn't do that. Some of our we've been teaching classes even uh, over last week, for example, which was a. Uh, the week that we're trying to get our, our sea legs under us uh, before we get back and, and to change gears. So it will look different and you got to roll with the punches. 
Uh, and you got to recognize that sometimes your plans will change. So make your plans is what I would say and be as specific as you can be, but also recognize that they may change. You may have a goal and a deadline that you miss. Well, go back to the drawing board. Try it again. There may be some things you just can't do right now. So figure out what you can do and, and make the most of it, I would say. Uh, there's probably more. Now, I wouldn't use this as an excuse, though, and to say, well, I just can't do anything now. Whatever this person's situation is, I would say, can you really not do anything? Maybe you can. Maybe there are ways you can do it differently now, but you can still continue to make progress each day because, as you noted, you know, financially and everything, everywhere else, it makes a difference when you get started. And so, and if you have momentum on something, don't lose that momentum. And that can also be like having to start over again. So I would say as much as you can, keep keep on task and, and see what you can get done based on what you'd already planned to do. Yeah, thank you for that. On page 82 of your book, you recommend your readers attempt to outdo one another, um, outdo their spouses rather in the realm of service. And so, you know, I hear echoes of course of the, the verse that says, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. And you say that one of the best things you can do for the kingdom of God and the benefit of the world is to love your spouse and your children and invest in them. So I'm a husband, I'm a father, I've got four kids. Many of our listeners are husbands, dads. Here's the eternal question. How can we pursue that kind of kingdom-minded attention to our family and yet maintain balance with our careers and the calling outside the home that the Lord has given us? How have you achieved balance in that? Or, or is that so, still something you're working through? Well, I'm still working on all of these areas. You know, um, just because I wrote the book, I, I'm not perfect in these ways. These are these are some Whoa. ways I'm striving for. Not you haven't like, figured this out yet? Come on. But, uh, but, but let's come back to priorities and making sure your calendar reflects your priorities. And so if you say okay. that, you know, family comes first, well, do they come first? Do you actually write your calendar on your calendar anything related to your family? Uh, or do you just assume it? And so the reality right. is we do things that are on our calendar. So write dinner on the calendar, write breakfast with the kids on the calendar. Um, I didn't write this in the book, but but I thought about it. I wrote something similar. If you want to change the world, have dinner with your family. If you want to change the world, teach catechisms and Bible verses to your kids. Love your kids. Be with them. Um, spend time with them because those are the people in, your, in our lives that we have the highest level of responsibility for. And so we we are not um, going back to your first question on faithfulness. I don't know how we can be faithful if we are neglecting those who for whom we have the highest level of responsibility. You know, Paul talks about um, un, someone not caring for his family being worse than an unbeliever. In Thessalonians. So there's there's some strong language there in Scripture. Uh, it can be tempting for those in ministry to say, "Well, I'm serving the Lord," uh, but that does not negate our responsibility to those closest to us. So I'm not a perfect husband or father by any means, but uh, but I, I do strive to make sure that my, my children uh, don't get uh, don't get left out, and that I'm not pouring teaching, for example, into students at, at the seminary that I don't afford the same opportunity to my children. And so we don't want our children to get the short end of the stick or our spouses at all. Yeah, yeah, that's really good. One of the things that I've been working on personally is trying to wake up early. Uh, which is something that you do recommend in your book, Everyday Matters. Are you personally, do you, would you consider yourself more of a night owl or uh, an early bird? 
No, I'm I'm not a night owl. I mean, I've, I've had my my times in life when I have, uh, but I, I'm probably tilted a lot more towards waking up early. Doesn't mean it's easy, and yeah, uh, but it, I'm much more of an early morning juices are flowing kind of guy than at night. I'm I'm just out of steam. And even like in college, when I would stay up late and write papers, I I would do much better if I got up early. Um, and so I yeah, I recommend getting up early for practical reasons. One reason is because fewer people are up and bothering you. And once you're up and, and you're awake and you've got things going, it can be hard to shut it down and find a quiet time at you know 1030 at night uh, for some people. Maybe it's not for everyone. Uh, but if you can sort of dictate uh, the tempo and, and wake up in the morning and don't turn on the TV or check your email or whatever first and just get going on things, uh, then you can knock out sometimes one or two of those important things on your list. Now, everyone's got to know their own their own sort of a circadian rhythm. And so you've got to figure out, are you a night owl or a morning person? Uh, and your answer might be neither, <laughs> but you got to probably find one or the other uh, to find some quiet time where you can get some things done. Uh, and so if you're not a morning person, then make sure you're strategic at night. And even if you are a morning person, I mean, it's still hard to get up, especially the time has changed now. You know, it's always dark when the alarm goes off and it, it makes it that much harder. And so it's not always easy to get up in the morning, but it's typically worth it uh, when I can do it. Yeah, that's that's really good. As we're thinking about bringing things to a close now, um, how can our listeners who have had their interest peaked by what you've been talking about, how can they take their their study of this further? And and you know, what's one thing that you hope that folks walk away with from this? discussion from this video and podcast to be able to start putting into practice today? And maybe a couple of things that, that come to mind. We, we've mentioned a couple of them. One is focus on three things to do every day. Uh, have a way to write things down. There's a second point. Figure out something that you can have as a command center to write things down and begin to, to move it around. Um, I'll tell you something else that's, I think, an underappreciated tool that we probably all have access to uh, that we may not think about, and that's a timer or stopwatch and and not saying well i have eight hours in front of me today what am i going to do with it and if you're working from home you have no meetings maybe well think no i have i have 45 minutes to do my next project and and hit start on your timer and see if you can get that project done or that piece of the project done in 45 minutes once you start doing that your day doesn't seem like this this large mass of what do i do it's wow I, you've got to get moving because you only have a few segments of the day to get things done I find taking the day in smaller chunks and using a timer or a stopwatch uh, to see how long things take and to keep me on schedule really helps. And so that might be something that's really practical that, that listeners have lying around that they might, may find helpful and to make the most out of every hour. Oh, that's really good. There's there's actually websites you can use and, and uh, even apps. There's a website called tomato-timer.com, I think which uses a, a Pomodoro timer, which is an increment of 25 minutes at a time with a five minute break. And um, yeah, I found that to be helpful as well. For me, the 45 minutes can, I, I it, it can be a little too long. I find myself getting distracted about 30 minutes. So yeah. it's nice to have a break every yeah, 30 minutes. Is great. 30 minutes is a, a great set of time. And I, I often do 30 minute segments. Sometimes when you're flow, you get in the flow and you're ready, to, you, your, your things are going smoothly, you can just blow right through the timer, which is fine. Yeah. You don't have to stop. Uh, but if you are 
tempted to stop and think, well, I need to check my email or I need to check the, the score of the game when there's no games on now. But uh, what then what you do is say, well, it's only been 22 minutes. Let me get it to 30 minutes and then I'll take a break. And so it, it gives you something sort of a light at the end of the tunnel to make you keep working until you get there, especially in the afternoons. I find when I'm tired and I want to take a break, uh, just w make it through 30 minutes and then take a break. Yeah. That after lunch food coma that, that uh, we all want a siesta when we experience. Uh, so Reverend Dr. Crow, how can folks keep up with your work? Uh, where can they find your book? And then please feel free to let us know about any other projects you're working on right now. Yeah, so you can find my books wherever they're sold. Um, this book, I, I've seen it at Barnes & Noble and places like that as well. So um, Westminster Books also often has deals on good theological books, wtsbooks.com and Amazon and, and places like that people know of. Um, and um, I, I do have a, a Twitter account, which is my name, Brandon D. Crow. Uh, and so you can see if I've posted anything there. I typically just post articles and so forth, uh, but I'll, I'll be on there occasionally. And in terms of other things I'm working on, I typically have a few things uh, in the pipeline, but there is an, another new book that just came out a couple of weeks ago on uh, on the book of Acts and the resurrection, trying to uh, make sense out of the whole book of Acts and, and some of the strange things that are there. And so it argues for the importance of the resurrection and how it affects the theology of Acts and the New Testament. So that's published with Baker Academic Publishing. That's also available wherever. So for if any of your listeners are working on the book of Acts, then that might be a helpful resource. What's that called again? It's called The Hope of Israel, The Resurrection of Christ, and the Acts of the Apostles. Very cool. I'm gonna that's more the type of book I typically write. I don't typically write productivity books. Yeah. I do more New Testament study. So that's uh, more in the wheelhouse. Yeah, very cool. Well, we'll have to have you um, back on again, if you're willing, sometime to, to uh, talk about some New Testament theology and uh, we actually don't do a lot of talk about productivity here as well, but I figured, you know, at, at a time like this, um, we want to help folks think biblically through every issue of life. Having a biblical worldview is all important. And so being able to see how we can be productive during a time of quarantine and being shut in, being able to think through that biblically. Um, I think a lot of people are going to really benefit from this. So Reverend Dr. Crow, thank you so much for joining us here on the Think Podcast. If you want to, if you're listening and you want to follow along with the work that we're doing, feel free to go to thethink.institute. Also, don't forget about the book giveaway that uh, is happening right now until the end of the month. The best way to get entered into our book giveaway is by simply leaving us a five-star rating and review, an honest five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And of course, we encourage you to follow us along on social media at The Think Institute on Facebook and Instagram at ThinkInst on Twitter and JS Thinks on ThinkSpot. So um, if you haven't done so yet, Go out and get yourself a copy of Everyday Matters, A Biblical Approach to Productivity by Brandon D. Crow. It is an excellent book. Like I said, I've read it. I've marked it up. I've benefited a lot from it. And um, I promise you that what Reverend Dr. Crow just talked about here on uh, in our discussion is really just dip, dipping the toe in the water of the knowledge and the wisdom that are in this book. It's biblical. It's practical. It's um, it's very satisfying to be able to put some of these things into practice. So Reverend Dr. Crow, thank you again. 
And uh, I hope we can have another conversation soon. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you.